welcome to the I Spy with My MyOI podcast. I am your host, Brittany Sierra. I am a certified oral facial myologist, registered dental hygienist, and lifelong learner. My goal with this podcast is to expand your knowledge of oral facial myofunctional disorders and to bring you up to date in current literature so that together we can get to the root of the problem. You ask, we'll answer by collaborating with true pioneers and specialties associated with the myo world. Join me on this journey as we dive into the life-altering world of tethered oral tissues and airway space. Let's do this thing. Quick disclaimer, all content expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the speakers and is for informational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Because every person is so unique, you should always consult with your specialized healthcare professional. Dr. Lauren Ballinger is a board-certified pediatric dentist and completed both her dental training and her pediatric dental residency at the University of Maryland. Dr. Lauren passionately believes that pediatric and child-focused dentists, along with collaborative partners in care, represent the best group of healthcare professionals to oversee and cultivate a child's optimal health span throughout their lifetime by helping them breathe, function, sleep, and grow optimally at the earliest age possible. She founded Good to Grow Pediatric Dental Wellness, Airway Growth, and Sleep Solutions and the Nurture Phrenectomy Center to focus on the importance of assisting babies and children with proper oral function, the establishment of nasal breathing, and to provide interceptive growth guidance and correction at the earliest ages possible. Dr. Lauren has been deeply inspired and motivated as both a mother and a pediatric dentist by her two now teenage children, Jack and Libby, who struggled with sleep and airway issues from day one. They are her why. Her mission is to help as many children as possible, as early as possible, not only in her own practice, but in every community. By raising awareness in both the public and professional communities to recognize and treat the earliest signs of less than optimal craniofacial and respiratory development and the associated functional breathing and sleep symptoms, we can elevate the wellness potential of children now and for a better future. Good evening, Dr. Ballinger. I'm so excited to have you on. So thank you for taking the time on. I think today was a day off for you, so I appreciate it. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, it's great to be with you. I was so excited to be able to listen to you speak um, at the AAPMD uh, during the Endeavor lecture and, you know, listening to your story and what got you in to airway. Um, I know it's a very personal connection and I totally teared up as I know a lot of people in the room did when they, when they heard you speak. So Mm -hmm. if you want to share a bit um, for the listeners who might not know your story, how you went from, you know, pediatric dentist to pediatric airway advocate and airway provider. I thought that was a great question. Thank you for, I guess, tearing up in that meeting because I was torn up from uh, Candy Sparks who spoke right before us yes. because I think that a lot of us in this um, airway, you know, collaborative or, um, you know, how we might say sort of what we call our endeavor or our journey is because we are either experienced personally ourselves or our children or know somebody who have, and um, it's really turned the lights on for us. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, let's see, I, I finished dental school in 2000. I worked for as a general dentist for a couple of years. I went back, did my residency in pediatric dentistry from 2004 to 2006, was a board certified pediatric dentist, loved it, always had... Um, 
before I decided I want to be a dentist as a political science major. So I do tend to see things a little bit um, in black and white or be a little justice driven anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was always a huge advocate for the year one dental exam. And for example, when the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry put out in their guidelines, the year one dental exam, this is going way back, um, I think actually in 2009, I was a big advocate of explaining to other dental practices and pediatric or general um, physician practices that look, you know, you can't just if somebody calls and says, I have a three or five year old children, you child, you can't say, we don't see three or five year olds and hang up. But we had an obligation to say, well, we may not see children until they're five, but did you know and be able to find them a dentist um, who could? So I already was sort of coming from that advocacy type of right or wrong, justice driven (laughs) place. And um, I would say it was about, oh, geez, I have to go back. Um, My kids were what I call Jerry, um, actually middle age for treatment at the time. I think they were what, seven and nine. And it must have been in 2014 or 15. And um, I was doing a lot of orthodontics and a family practice that I joined uh, pediatric dentistry, they did about 50% orthodontics that phase one, phase two, and doing a lot of hospital dentistry, everything that pediatric dentists do. Mm-hmm. And I went to a lecture um, in our local, our Yankee Dental Conference, which is our local uh, Northeast Dental Conference with Ben Moralia, which I'm sure everyone has heard before. Yes. And I went because it was a three hour, it said, you know, pediatrics, it said early orthodontics, and it said a new word airway. And I really didn't know what that meant. And I sat in it by myself. I wasn't with my partners or my husband at the time. And it was like a bolt of lightning came down and it was really one of those experiences that um, was touched by the other. I don't, I can't explain it because as he was talking, he wasn't showing pictures of anybody's teeth. He was just showing pictures of children's faces and sort of giving a backstory of what was going on with them. And I saw my children um, in the journey that we had had since birth and all these pictures and all these stories And then at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, here I am a pediatric dentist. And every child that basically comes in and passes under my nose, I'm seeing the same thing. And um, I I guess it was sort of a personality. I don't know if it's a good trait or a flaw that I just decided that I couldn't do what I was doing anymore, that I had seen something new. A lot of times we all say, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yes. Yes. And I flew out of that class and I looked for my dad and my uncle who I was practicing with and um, my husband at the time. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, I just, I've seen, I've seen the past and I've seen the present and I see the future and I know the part that we can play in this and how important it is. And I am changing the way I do everything. And I basically had three men in my life looking at me like, what are you talking about? And another question I got was, does that mean you're not doing sealants anymore? You know, it was like, it's like, guys, it's so much bigger than that. Right. And that was really the beginning of um, when I say I went back to work that Monday, 
And I tell you, I might've said this to you um, and I'm not happy to say it, but I think it's important for us to say it. I had patients in class two elastics and it happened to be one of my first patients on Monday. And I remember saying, I have to take these elastics off. I just know they're bad for you, but I don't know what I'm going to do now with your overbite. This was probably an older patient, I believe. Um, And at the same time, I, and this is what I really recommend other, you know, whether you're a hygienist or a speech language pathologist or a dentist or whatever you are, that if you're interested and you're feeling like you're being having a calling, you just have to start digging in. And what I did was I started digging in with my own education, but I was also terrified for my children. So that's really what motivated me. I was terrified um, because my daughter was in the middle of basically everything we don't want to see, thrashing at night, not breathing, snoring. Um, Her face was changing. My son was born with undiagnosed tongue ties, had the worst breastfeeding experience and early uh, childhood years that you could imagine. I mean, I could probably write chapters and books about both of them or give all day lectures. Um, And I wanted to find them help. And I knew that I was too emotional and too terrified and too new to treat them myself, especially since they were in that middle age category that a lot of us think of early, um, early treatment. So I made some phone calls and I asked some people like at the time, Barry Raphael, um, mm-hmm. Roger Price um, to help me. And I offered, I said, look, treat me like a patient. I want to learn, but treat me like a patient. And I took days off of work um, once a month to drive three hours to New Jersey. I had a treatment or a payment plan like everybody else. Uh And at the same time, I started learning. And um, I was able after about a year and a half to take over, especially after I did orthotropics uh, class with Bill Hang. But um, when it comes to your kids, I know that a lot of us hear this stuff, and we absolutely panic. And my advice with that is, is do not try to convince anybody your local dentist or your local orthodontist unless they have that passion. If you can't convince somebody, you just need to do it yourself, right? You just need to dig in and do it yourself because, um, for those listening are probably already, you know, believers or believers or whatever we are, (laughs) Um, you know, you can't, you can't change somebody's dogma. They have to see it for themselves. And, um, that's why I think that there's such a great opportunity for whether you're a general dentist or pediatric dentist, and I think it's going to be the general dentists more so than the pediatric dentists, because pediatric dentists have their own sort of dogma training. Um, If you like kids, basically, you need to figure out how to some behavior management, which in my mind is as easy as it can be. You know, kids and dogs smell fear. So you have to get comfortable with a little (laughs) bit of the uncomfortable, and just find mentors and classes and techniques to get in there and learn. So, you know, I went from doing a little bit of everything to feeling like this is all that I want to do because there aren't enough of us mm-hmm. to be able to do this. So, um, and I just felt really um, not really true to myself anymore doing some of the other stuff such as, which is important, but right. you know, 
it's very important. It just, I had spent 20 years working really hard doing carries control. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I was a prevent, if I was going to truly be preventative, I can't think of anything else besides that. Right. So I opened, you know, my exclusively only airway practice and it can be done. And it's the best thing I've ever done. That's amazing. That's such a, it's such an amazing story now. So it wasn't easy. It was oh, not wow. easy. I'm sure and there's a lot of people in people's lives that will hear this too, that say, you can't do that. It's not going to work but it does work. <laughs> now, how it does did you work. handle, how did you handle the people that would say to you, that's not going to work? Well, um, I, I had to get a professional divorce. I had to leave my practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think that that's what some people have to understand that. Um, and that's okay. You know, that's okay too, that if you're in a practice where you're feeling like your partners or your associates are, you know, your hygienists, your team are just not getting this because it takes a team approach. Um, you cannot do it by yourself, right? You cannot, you need a whole team on board, um, to give the patient education and experience from the time they pick up the phone, you know, through the entire time that you have a relationship with them. So it may mean that you have to make some big changes. You know, when you, when you have certain beliefs or philosophies or goals or callings, it's very uncomfortable, you know, and you have to to be okay with that. And I feel like once you take that plunge into all of this airway stuff, you take your first course, you get really invested. It's not something you can do, you know, kind of like half-ass, like you're either like all in or you're all out. You're all in (laughs) or you're all out. And one of the best things that I realized is, is that if you are, and I'm sure, you know, hygienists get this, any dentist gets this, mm-hmm. that when you are so motivated to help people in this way, when you are having a day where somebody did maybe just come in to get their teeth cleaned, right? And that's sort of their expectation. Starting out this conversation can be very difficult, mm-hmm. or it can even really shut other patients down. They're not interested. Right. So when you get into it and you love it, when you become a airway focused practice, and people start coming to you because they know what they're looking for, your day just gets so much easier and so much better. And the flow is so much better because you don't feel like you're trying to sell something, which we're not, but that's how people interpret it. You can stay on time because you, let's face it, you have an hour for whatever you're doing, right? And to have this conversation, it's not just a quick little aside, mm-hmm. by the way, you know, you could have a major health problem, right? Um, you know, the other suggestion that I make to dentists and hygienists who are interested in this, if they're, you know, not willing yet to step out of their box is to make one day a month to maybe say, if you have some patients and you bring it up and said, did you know, is this is something that you're interested in hearing more about? Where do you schedule them just for that day? So that's all you're doing that day, even if it's just screening and educating, because that way you're not getting into your team, your assistants looking at you because you're running late all the time. And, you know, you're really trying to do uh, the right thing, but um, you can set it up in a way that makes it very educational and very nurturing for patients Mm -hmm. to have the time to really talk. And it's not really disrupting your day and not making you frustrated. 
But I'll tell you what, since, you know, you become, I guess, a referral type practice, it's amazing. Some people find you, they know more than you do. I mean, because they've just done so much research and the ones that haven't are open to learning. Mm -hmm. They're open to learning what you have to um, offer them in terms of ideas. Yeah. I'll never forget the time that I had a, he might've been 14 at the time, 14, 15, I don't know, he's 16 now, but anyways, he had emailed me, found my website, emailed me. And I was like, listen, you have to have mom or dad, you know, reach out to me. I have no problem scheduling an appointment for you, but we need to have mom or dad do it. And so they did. And they came in and like, mom and dad had no idea what was going on. This 14 year old kid reached out to you. He reached out to me. Yeah. He did all his own research. They came in, he came in with his mom for his comprehensive evaluation And when I tell you it was the worst tongue tie I've ever seen, it was. I mean, how it wasn't caught. I mean, it was an anterior tie. Right. Um, But anyways, he did so much research from knowing that he needed to have a sleep study done and that he needed to go through palatal expansion, but he didn't want to see a traditional orthodontist. He wanted to see an airway provider. And I'm like, that's incredible. Isn't it? I was, I never, he was probably one of my favorite patients that I ever worked with because he just. It was just awesome. He knew, he knew. And, you know, I, 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 the mom was felt bad. She's like, I feel horrible that I didn't, you know, know any of this sooner. And when he, you know, brought it to my attention, I was like, you know, they have a very close family friend. That's a periodontist that they showed his tongue to. And, you know, nobody had anything to offer anything to say or anything of concern. And especially he wasn't a kid that was really suffering, believe it or not. Right. I mean, he excelled in school. He was on like three, he made varsity as a freshman. Um, so he wasn't like that kid that kind of got left behind. Right. So he just wanted to move forward even more really. Yes. But how did yeah. he find out? How did he know? What was, do you remember what it was that so he said he, he knew. So I think that's what it was, but he didn't come out and say that. He said that when he was like 10 or something, him and his friends had a contest of like who could stick their tongue out the farthest. And he realized he couldn't stick his tongue out. And then the mom said, you know, I do remember him telling me that, but I didn't think anything of it. Now, that's fast right. forward to him being 14 or 15 years old, of course, in the back of my mind, I'm like, you're trying to kiss girls and that's you're struggling right. over there. <laughs> But, you know, that's a that's a really good point, because one of the things that we're playing around with a little bit actually is a possible research thought with um, with Usagi is sort of self-assessment that kids can do mm-hmm. and the exact same assessment that parents will do on their kids. OK, so like with little cartoons mm-hmm. where kids, it is amazing, young kids, even kids who aren't reading but because you can see the cartoons Mm -hmm. can identify their own signs and symptoms so much better than their parents do. Wow. Right. So it's all about listening or how many times have we been, you know, interviewing a patient and a child and, you know, if it's out loud, the mom will be like, no, no, no. And the child or a sibling will be like, oh yes. Oh, they Mm -hmm. snore all the time. Or, I do wake up and don't feel great. Like they start self-reporting. And I think it's a twofold thing with parents. I think one, and this is something we all have to be really aware of, is that parents are naturally defensive about their children. Mm -hmm. They just are. I think Mm -hmm. one of the things is parents that we all have to get over. I'm working on it as I have older teenagers is realizing that, hey, your children are not you. 
mm-hmm. right? Like you're, they're not you, but I think especially when you have young kids, they're such a reflection of you and you want them to be healthy and happy. Otherwise you're sort of judging yourself that you've done mm-hmm. something wrong. And um, so parents, I think naturally tend to, especially if they're ambushed or how they feel ambushed in those quick conversations that are hard to have in the middle of a regular day, right? You know, their first answer is always no, nope, they're fine. They're fine. They're fine. Right. And then they feel very guilty, right? When they realize that a child may have been suffering or this person, like, why didn't I know that as a parent? And I think that one of the best things that we can do as a community is to say, Hey, we didn't know either. Right. Like, I love saying that, like, listen, I was, you know, a quote unquote growth and develop, you know, boarded quote unquote growth and development childhood specialist. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know, I didn't know, you know, and I think that that's okay to say and make them feel better, but you know, now, and what are we going to do now? Right. Right. Exactly. So did they get on board? Oh yeah. And he's, I mean, he's doing, he's, he's doing great. I mean, they did all the things that they needed to do. Um, you know, once we had the conversation and the, what'd you say? Good for them. Good for that that kid. Amazing. I, I I just was so, I could, I honestly have him be an advocate, right? Like he needs to be an advocate. Were you there for the last day of the AAPMD when they talked about, um, generation A? No, I wasn't. I had to come home on Sunday. So this is really cool. And they just gave us a little taste of it. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Yep. A li- right. Right. So, you know, where they're looking for grade level, high school, college level mm-hmm. kids who are talking about their own experiences to talk to other kids about that. And I just think that that's brilliant. Yeah. A thousand percent. And, you know, he, he always asked me every time, you know, we took pictures and stuff. He's like, He's like, remember that my mom, my mom gave you consent to use these. Like, I want you to use my my pictures. Like he like, I I just best. And he's such a, he's such a good kid. And he just knew everything. Like, you know, the parents wanted him to see their family periodontist to do the release. And And he he was like, yeah, he's like, mom, no, like, I want to see you know, the list that Brittany gave us of providers that, you know, she that, trusts, this is who I want to go to. And again, when they, the, yeah, I'm such an interrupter, was, keep going. He was 14, like I 14, he was a freshman in high school. And I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And the second he opened his mouth, he's like, I'm totally tongue tied, aren't I? And I'm like, Oh boy, yes, yes you are. <laughs> it's amazing. And that brings up another really good point, Brittany, is that there are not enough of us to meet the demand. Mm-hmm. And right now, and it's really difficult that our, we have to say to some of our patients, you may have to travel. And right. what's too bad about that is not everybody has the resources to do that. Right. Right. And um, yeah, it's sort of unfortunately a very exclusive club right now to be able to take care of your needs that way. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that's something that I think all of us are mindful of and are working on. I mean, I know that's a big sort of underlying pin of the AAPMD and the endeavor of, you know, listen, what, what can we do to help these kids out? And a lot of it can start with, you know, what we've all heard and talked about, you know, hearing right. screenings, hearing screenings, you know, not just breathing screenings, but 
Are your lips, you know, just sitting in class? Do you know? I mean, think about in preschool. If teachers could just, they're so focused on sitting up straight and putting, you know, putting a bubble in your mouth and not talking and, you know, right. all these stuff, crisscross, applesauce, if you like. <laughs> what, you know, what if the conversation was also, by the way, when you're sitting here, do you know that your lips are supposed to be closed and your tongue is supposed to be touching the roof mm -hmm. of your mouth? And you just start setting up these behaviors like, you know, saying please or thank you or looking in people's eyes. It's right. not going right. to help everybody because there's going to be some kids that have some major barriers. Mm -hmm. But to normalize that your lips are supposed to be closed and where your tongue is supposed to be is at least going to help. And um, that doesn't cost any money. It, you know, it requires us to have education and outreach. It goes outside of the dental medical field. And, um, you know, and then taking it a step level further, you know, what about the kids that do need either, you know, myofunctional therapy releases or, you know, appliance therapy? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure there's plenty of providers that are willing, you know, to donate their time. And as far as lab expenses, you know, I know that we, you know, have not me, but some of the powers that be like Howie Hinden, you know, are talking to labs about, you know, what could you do in order to volunteer, you know, some appliance making for dentists. So I, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, right now it is, it's a very, it feels very exclusive. It feels, you know, it's like, it's like the hybrid car, right? right. Like the hybrid cars cost more than every other car and they're good for the environment kind of thing. So that is I feel like the group, for. you know, all of you on the Endeavor group and everybody at the APMD and everybody that is involved in this field are, you know, the money's the last thing on their mind. And I think yes. that that's just so great. And everybody's so willing to like you're, you coming on here on, you know, a Monday night at six o'clock to talk with me so that we can continue to spread awareness. Like everybody is just so giving, they just want to get yes. that out there. They want to touch as many lives and people yes. as they can and raise that awareness. So you and know. I tell my patients too, I just had a conversation. I'm like, we will figure out a way to make this happen for you because for every patient, you mm -hmm. know, and this is, you know, between us that has the ability to come in and pay in full, that mm -hmm. allows people like me to be like, if we need to spread this out for, you know, what yeah. can you do and yeah. how long, if we spread this out for five years, but you know, we're done in a year, let's make yeah. it happen. I, mean, I just had that conversation and make it happen. Yeah. I just had that conversation with a mom this morning. Um, one of my other therapists saw her and, you know, they were going to reach out to me because she had some questions on billing and she, we have a, a three month payment plan and she had mm -hmm. asked if she could extend that. And I very quickly was like, of course you can. And she was like, oh, wow. She's like, I didn't think that's how this conversation was going to go so quickly. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, a thousand percent. I want you to, your daughter to get the treatment that she needs. However, we have to work it out. Like we will figure it out. Of course, we have to have guidelines and things that we, we yeah. follow, but yeah. there's always an exception. We can always bend the rules. There's and, always a way. Yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah. Now that patient that you saw morning after you took that class, um, with Dr. Moralia said yeah. they had that deep bite. Can you explain like what you see now? Like if you saw that patient walk Ugh. into your office today, like what would be your thought process? That is such a good question because, so that goes back to what this is all about, about early, early screening and treatment, because for those of you who have maybe not heard me say this, when I treat orthodontically, and I don't even like the word orthodontics because orthodontics to me means braces. 
Mm -hmm. I think the word that everyone will understand on this podcast is really craniofacial respiratory complex. That comes from Kevin Boyd or skeletal facial. Um, If anyone on this can think of a better word that describes that, um, that people can understand, please, because that is really what we want to convey, right? It's growth modification, growth guidance. So three, I mean, birth is when we should be looking for tongue ties, you know, smaller nasal cavities, all those things that lead to the 12 year old that has a deep bite. It's a skeletal problem. Mm -hmm. It's a skeletal and functional problem because, you know, if the tongue was at the right place acting as a scaffold the entire time, we wouldn't see, you know, that what we kind of call that maxillary melting, you know, that upper jaw just kind of coming down and back. Um, so that is why I'm such an advocate that if we need some sort of what I call structural correction or, you know, to make the garage bigger, the really best time to do that is in the primary teeth, because that's when our growth is really, um, at its maximum and the potential for change to make that structure bigger. And then to come back to work, to get, you know, that tongue up in the palate to continue to support the growth in the right way. When you see a 12, even an eight, 12 year old with such a deep bite, it's serious. I mean, I don't know, you know, when I first started hearing like, oh, it's surgical jaw surgery. I was so, I, you know, I was really taken back by that because I thought it was so aggressive. Mm -hmm. And now I kind of understand, you know, based in the growth biology histology of everything that we're talking about, that we can't always make up for lost time of what we lost by doing what we're used to doing. So when I see a deep bite like that, you know, what's going through my mind is symptoms, right? Like how symptomatic are they? Um, You know, do they need some support, even teenagers, right? And I'm starting to understand this more and more. And it's something that I'm learning more and more. Um, You know, do they need some support right now with either, um, you know, even after we finish the ortho and we do as great as we can, if they don't want to go to surgery, do they need some sort of nighttime device to help them breathe? But do they, are they so bad that they need CPAP? I don't know these questions, but these are sort of what I'm thinking other than just cosmetics, right? I mean, we can certainly expand, you know, we can intrude those teeth a little bit, but we can't get, we can't take back that time of not just getting the jaws wide, but getting that face forward mm-hmm. to make those airways bigger. So it really does become a, a you know, a multi-collaborative resort, the discussion so much more about cosmetics, mm-hmm. if that patient is into that kind of thing, right? Because I've right. also found in my practice that I've gotten really comfortable with saying that I might not be the doctor for you, because you're going to be frustrated with me, you know, if all you want is, which is okay, I don't mean all you want, right. But like, if you just want your teeth straightened, and you want that overbite corrected, um, you're going to get frustrated with me, because I'm not going to retrieve that, or I'm going to open that up, and you're going to have even a bigger overbite, right, that's healthier. So getting really clear on goals. I have to be honest, if I could treat like seven and younger only, I would, mm-hmm. but there's nobody around me who's going to help. Right. Like, you know, the older kids and right. that's why we need more and see, that's the thing. Like if orthodontists 
could maybe we don't have to convince orthodontists that they have to work with three and four year olds. But what if we said, what if we set you up, like, you know, get you up the plate and then you can take over in an airway conscious manner, right? right? To not undo sort of how we set it up. Right. Right. I mean, there's a big potential for collaboration there. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. It's just, we have to get orthodontists to, um, you know, understand that if we set them up, they're not going to take back what we've set up. Now, how, what was your thinking when, when you were doing orthodontics, you know, prior, um, (laughs) and waiting, you know, to do expansion? I mean, I know way later, but at least to the first molars we're in, right? So, oh, yeah. Oh, I was the queen of, um, phase one, phase two, right? And I was also the queen of, I mean, I let's just call it what it is. I would see patients and say, oh, you're crowded. I can definitely get those teeth in with, you know, also without taking out teeth, but without needing expansion. Because if you have good wire, like straight wire technique, like with, you can make the arches wide enough, usually to get all the teeth in. Mm-hmm. But it says nothing about function for the tongue. You know, if you're starting early, right. If you're right. starting early in like a seven, eight or nine year old, but it says nothing for, you know, does the tongue have place to park? What are the nasal passages? Like, you know, what's the AP like? So, yeah, I mean, that's sort of what I prided myself in was, um, you know, early try to make room for all the teeth. Um, you know, I would usually put them in some sort of occlusal guard, which was sort of interesting because it's sort of like a part of healthy start, but I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing or why. Right. And then, you know, phase two, it would either be, well, your teeth are straight from phase one. So you guess what? You don't need braces or it was a much less invasive procedure. So I have a lot of patients that do have all their teeth in their mouth Mm -hmm. um, who are, older teenagers now or in their twenties who are very narrow mm-hmm. and are symptomatic because we didn't address, you know, we weren't seeing the forest through the trees there. Right. And they're very difficult to um, see and to have these conversations with. Um, now, in your opinion, why do you think it's so crazy to an orthodontist, like a traditional orthodontist, to think that you're putting expanders on three, four-year-olds? Oh my gosh. That is the million dollar question. I don't don't know. I don't know. I mean, I have so many like little side chat, you know, private messenger conversations going on with people that I've met who are bringing, you know, who aren't near me, who are bringing their children to orthodontists. And, you know, they're myofunctional therapists and they're saying, why can't you do this? And I'm hearing things like, here's a great example I just heard. Well, you know, and this is from a board certified orthodontist. And I just, I keep going back to my training and my books and going, because I trained in my residency with the first year for like, where, where did we learn this? For example, the orthodontist said, well, seven and 10 are rotated and I'm nervous what's going to happen to those teeth you know, this is in bone crowding, mm-hmm. right? From taking a pan, if we expand. And I'm just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? They're crowded or they're rotated because they don't have room to come in. Right. And if you expand them, they're going to 
probably derotate and be able to come in. So I hear these things or you can't expand the lower. Oh, that's a big one. (laughs) But you are uprighting the teeth. Okay. Like I am not a genius. Like I feel like my work is very intuitive, right? It's like you either see things or you don't. Mm -hmm. It's just intuitive to me that if the upper arch is sort of like that top, you know, the, the box top that sort of containing the bottom, you know, the bottom is only going to grow or upright as much as the upper jaw will let it. And if you right. look at teeth clinically or an x-ray and you see those bottom teeth sort of tipped in and you upright them, it's kind of obvious. Right. Right. And, you know, or we're going to push teeth out the bone. Where has that happened? There's no, like, I just don't know where some of these, um, like what I say, like their dogma, it's like, you know, they feel like our karma ran over their dogma, right? You remember that? (laughs) I don't know where some of these things are coming from, right? And so, and there's like these, they're like old wives tales, right? That that are just being so hung on to. And I think, you know, and the other thing that we come up against too is like, well, show me the literature that says this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, show me the literature that says it doesn't help. And why, why not try? And Mm -hmm. I know case studies or stories aren't, you know, double blinded evidence based yet, but they mean something. They're meaningful. Mm -hmm. People's human stories and their experiences mean something. Right. So, you know, you just can't ignore that. I don't know where it comes from. And that's why why I'm a big believer in, you know, it's like talking politics. It's talking religion. If you are finding somebody whose heels are so dug in, it is true to them. And it's not worth getting angry at them or judging them. Just like we, you know, like tolerance is going to require all of us to kind of just, you know, accept each other for who we are. (laughs) Right? Right. Even though it might drive you crazy, you don't understand it. They may feel the same way about us. Like, what are they doing? So my approach is when we come to things like that, I've gotten really comfortable at not trying to explain myself, just saying, look, this is what I offer. Mm -hmm. And to parents saying, I really believe in a parent's intuition and gut. Go out and find the, you know, different opinions. This might be for more of an airway novice type of family, right? Uh And what makes sense to you? Because mm-hmm. the worst thing you can do is convince, and I'm sure you feel this in your field too, because it takes a lot of dedication. It takes compliance. It takes time mm-hmm. with all of us. We're never cured. I mean, are you ever really done with myofunctional therapy? It's a lifestyle. It's a health choice, right? right? Just like everything else we do, sometimes we fall off the cliff and sometimes we need some, you know, reminders or some adjustments. Um, you know, it's a way of living just because we know how to sit up straight doesn't mean we always do. Mm-hmm. Right. So, or just because we know how to eat well, doesn't mean we always do. So we always need some sort of support. Um, so you, to convince somebody that they, that this is what they want to do is not a great idea. Right. Um, and it, it's just not, and it's heartbreaking, especially mm-hmm. when you're working with children and you feel the time clock ticking. But I have learned by setting a seed and also being very open and generous, being like, look, I am here at any time that you need me. You know, you want to come back and talk or ask me some more questions. 
great. You know, just sit with it. A lot of times I say, just kind of let it marinate, think about it. Um, but the worst cases that I've done, and I've made almost every mistake, um, is to try to get people to do them what I think they should do because right. they get very frustrated with me and they're not as happy with the results because mm -hmm. guess what? They don't have the compliance. So, right. you know, it's like when you first start with a certain program, it's like, well, I put this big thing in my mouth, like you said I was going to, and why isn't it working? Mm -hmm. Right. Because they don't, you know, that's, that's, that's sort of, I, don't, I hate the word selling that's um, promoting sort of a procedure or an appliance instead of a lifestyle right. and sort of working in the gray of doctoring. Right. Mm -hmm. And if something just doesn't work right away, then it looks like everyone failed. So right. you really want people to come, come to you. And it's hard because not everybody is ready. A thousand percent. Now, how are the pediatricians around you? Are they on board, you get referrals from them. How's yeah, that? I have a mixed bag. I have a mixed bag, you know, so I have some that, you know, I send stuff to all the time and I know it ends up on their, you know, side desk. But <laughs> I've been very fortunate because one of the pediatricians who's actually my daughter's pediatrician. Well, I, I have an interesting experience because I have a male pediatrician for my son, at same practice, and a female for my daughter, just because mm -hmm. she decided at one time she wanted a female. So I said, okay. And this female provider has been very um, interested in a tune from the beginning. Mm -hmm. She brought her kids to me and she had a, an awakening with both of her children that I treated, which of course made her an advocate. Right. So, right. you know, she, the whole thing, you know, her first child tonsils, adenoids, like everything that she, same thing. She's a DO, which I love. So she has a little bit more of a, you know, um, a big picture way of looking at things. So mm -hmm. she was pretty open to it. But the changes that she saw in her children, her youngest child that I started with when he was four with a deep bite, for instance, um, no. just with the first appliance, opening that bite, not even expanding. I've seen this so many times with kids with a deep bite or gummy bite, just by putting in the appliance that may have some um, occlusal coverage acrylic to open up the vertical that they lost mm -hmm. before we even start like expanding, they start sleeping better because mm -hmm. they've just lost so much of their structural airway support. So she is a huge advocate. One of the things, and then my sons, he, he tolerates me, <laughs> he tolerates me, but I know he doesn't. And he's a great guy, mm -hmm. right? But I just know that he's not. So she is a big um, referral source. I have an OBGYN who's a great referral source oh, for tongue ties. Um, this is what we have to realize about the medical community, which is true. They are working in a different model than we are. Mm -hmm. They, um, you know, they have certain, and most of them now are not in private practice. Mm -hmm. You know, they're hospitalists. Um, the, the the pressures that are putting on them from the business side are you know mandated by non-doctor hospital administrators and they just don't have the time to devote right that we do so we have to be careful with getting frustrated with them and i think that a better way is to say this is what we do if you see a patient that has this refer them to us we don't expect you to take up, you know, you have 15 minutes of time to mm -hmm. cover from head to toe. 
you know, and your billable hours are completely different than ours right. and they're answering to something other than ourselves. You know, us and our businesses and private practices, if we don't want to make any money that day, that's fine. Right. They don't have that luxury. Right. Right. So, you know, just to educate them uh, that we are around and that if you see certain risk factors that we can take over because they just, unfortunately, the way their healthcare model is set up, I don't think they're going to be able to provide the kind of care that they even want to provide right now. Mm -hmm. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure the, you know, the pediatrician, your daughter's pediatrician loves that and loves and knows that although she can't maybe spend as much time as she wants mm-hmm. with the patients, she knows whose hands they're going to go into. Right. So That's she right. is just completely confident that this patient is going to get exactly what they need from A to Z. Right. So over the years that, and, and by the way, it takes a long time to build up these collaborative. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just does. None of this is easy. Right. And that's oh, why you gosh, have to be yeah. in it. But like you said, the long haul, right. Oh, yeah. be It took me a long time to build up referral sources where I was. There was, you know, nobody practicing airway dentistry, airway orthodontics. I did have an orthodontist when he still refers to me. Um, He worked with a myofunctional therapist prior to him moving here. Um, I don't, I wouldn't consider him an airway orthodontist, but he understands the importance of muscle function and, and, and whatnot. So right. it was him that started me off. And he was honestly the one that, uh, convinced me to go ahead and take the course because I had, I was a hygienist, um, not working in an airway practice, read about myofunctional therapy and an RDA uh-oh, therapy uh-oh. by Joy Moeller. And right. I and was like, like oh. I yeah. was like, did I skip class class this day? Yes. Because I have no idea what myofunctional therapy is. And I went and I looked it up and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. So then I reached out to local providers in the area because of course I'm thinking ahead of the game, I'm going to take this course. I want to be able to actually do this. Let me gauge and see who's interested. Nothing, nobody, just one provider, like I said. And I'm like, well, one provider is good enough for me. I'm going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> Yeah, and, um, it did. It took me a while. I was doing hygiene full time for a long time on top of, you know, doing myo during my lunch hour or after work yeah. or weekends and, and whatnot to get me where I am today. And, you know, some people step into it and somebody right down the street is an airway provider. And I'm like, kudos to you. That's awesome. Because it was not like that for me, but no. it was fun educating and reaching out and I didn't care if yeah. they looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> That's fine. Right. You have to be able to, right. Be like, it's okay. If you think I'm crazy, right. <laughs> you have to be okay. You have to have a, right, you have to have a pretty good self-esteem. The other thing that I really learned in teaching and people asking me is that. So unlike dentistry and hygiene, which is again, very black and white, very, you know, we're like, you know, is it a two millimeter pocket? Is it a three millimeter pocket? <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, uh, the way we're taught to do preps, you know, is it, are the margins, you know, parallel or, you know, like we're, this is doctoring. This is thinking. It's a thinking person's game. Okay. And when people ask, and I'm sure they ask you too, like, what's the exercise for this? Or they ask me, right. What's the appliance for this? The answer to that is, I don't know. It's what are your goals and what are your mm-hmm. understanding of the anatomy and physiology? And that's what you have to study. There is nothing. It is unlike anything else that we're used to in dentistry and hygiene, where you mm-hmm. can 
have sort of a paint by numbers. This is how you do it. And you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have successes and you're going to have failures because guess what? People who are in the doctoring or physician, they Mm -hmm. work in the gray all the time. You know, there's not a physician or a nurse practitioner that can promise their patient anything, Mm -hmm. right? Like they show up to you with a disease and you work with them. We are having our patients show us up, you know, show up to us with a, you know, basically depending on how long they've had it, a disease process or or an abnormal skeletal growth pattern. Mm -hmm. These things are not cured overnight. I don't even know if they're ever cured. You know, we're working to make them as best as they can be for them, given their situation. And it just takes getting brave and trying it out. And you learn from your mistakes. I mean, that's how you learn. Oh, right. Yeah. And it's, it's so and- funny. It, it is so true. So I teach a myofunctional therapy course now and hygienists are hung up on wanting this like blueprint magic like formula program that they just follow. And I'm like, listen, it is not like, it's not like you pick up your 13, 14 and you know what areas you're going to hit with that. Yes. It, and you exactly. could look at somebody and they could be presenting even the same dysfunction, but you're going to attack them differently. Yeah. And it's just my, right. My advice is, is to get as many tools in your toolbox and it doesn't happen. Now that doesn't mean that you can't start, you know, like if this is what, you know, you start with that, but it, it, it takes, um, look, like you said, we didn't learn this in school Mm -hmm. and we all had very long programs. All of us did, whether we were in hygiene or dental school, Mm -hmm. it did not happen over a year. We are honing our skills over years. And you know what? you and I are going to continue to make mistakes and get better and learn more things as we go. And I think that if those are the conversations that you're having with your patients, you know, they're more holistic whole body conversations. Mm -hmm. Like we are your partner in health versus we are going to cure you. Yes. You know, just like we know that we can remove this calculus or we can do this crown, which is a very, you know, definite or definitive type of procedure. Um, you know, we get them to be our partners and, um, it's, it's a little scary for our profession because that is not how we came to be. Right. Right. But right. So I, listen, I've made every mistake in the world. You know, when I first, you know, I have no, um, I'll just give you an example because I think it's important to hear. So for when I first started, I started down the myobrace line. I mean, I am a certified myobrace provider. I think that it has incredible uses, but I drank the Kool-Aid flavor of cherry a hundred percent. Okay. Because I understood the orthodontics and then I was like, oh my gosh, this appliance thingy is going to change everything. But what you realize is, is no matter what you're learning, right. And it's, this is what you're probably saying for your therapy too. There's going to be an exercise that may hit a home run 50% of the time but the other 50%, it's not. So then you start trying to like, okay, well, I'm going to do this for everybody. And then you have some successes and then you don't. And then you have to figure out, well, why didn't it work for this? Right. So it's a continual learning process of getting as many tools in your toolbox as possible. And maybe even taking some classes again. So a lot of people will say to me, what appliance do you use? What lab do you use? What brand do you You do myobrace, healthy starts? Is it, it doesn't matter. Like I'm so over like this person's system, you know, what do you understand? What do you understand about the physiology and anatomy? 
and what are your goals for treatment? And, you know, there's so many different ways to attack this and approach it if you know what your end goal is. Right. Um, right. And um, that's sort of where the real learning comes in. And you have to keep on. Le- I love going to continuing ed. I oh, love going yeah. to classes that I've already taken two or three or four times because I learned something new every single time. A thousand percent. You oh, it's like watching a movie a second or third time. Like you always pick up on something different. Yes. And now this, might be, this might be another kind of, um, you know, it's not always a black or white situation, but mm-hmm. when we talk about tongue ties, you know, people are always stuck when they come to that two year old range. Do we release them? Do we wait? And everybody's like, what do we do? I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, for me, I think it depends on that two or three year old and what symptoms they're presenting with and, you know, who's on their team and where they're at in their process. Um, but for you as a provider, you do releases. Um, what, what would you say? Like, how would you handle that? Two you just described it perfectly. And when you, <laughs> when you sent your list of questions to me a couple of days ago, it was interesting because I just had finished last week releasing a three-year-old that I was very uh, conflicted mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. releasing. It's probably one of the hardest ages. I think, you know, releasing my preference goes first hit 10 days of life <laughs> is the best. <laughs> um, under three months is the next best. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you keep going up, but then you kind of get to this point. You're right. Like, okay, now they're two or like, all right. So even let's just say an 18 month old. Right. And their parents now know that they have a tongue tie for whatever reason, they had a terrible breastfeeding experience. The questions I'm going to ask at this point are, how are they doing with handling solid foods, right? I'm going to look for symptoms. I'm going to say, I, in my head, I know that this has to be addressed. Okay. But what are the pros of addressing it right now? And what are the cons of addressing it right now? So for me, anything really over, I don't know, I'm going to say over six to 12 months, there has to be a reason. Right. And, and not that we're not going to do it later. And everything has to fall in line. Like, you know, the parents have to be willing to do the pre-work in terms of just even body work, right? Because Mm -hmm. these kids are so, you know, tied up already in their compensations. Um, You know, if a child is not able to do their myofunctional therapy, which they're not, how willing are the parents going to be consistent about doing it before? Mm -hmm. So a lot of these questions I don't are, I don't make my mind up until maybe we start dipping our toe in a little bit right, with right. doing some myofunctional light kind of things, nasal right. and seeing how compliant the parents are, how compliant the child is, and then really looking at symptoms. So this little girl in particular, I was just really on the fence with because I'm just like, oh, and I kept on going over. I'm so lucky because I have such a great educated team. Um, you know, I kept on going over with um, one of my team members. She's an assistant, but she also got her CLC, her certified, uh, she's a certified uh, lactation cancer. And she's uh, finishing up her um, massage license therapy and, and um, awesome. getting some mentoring with the cranial state girl therapist. So I kept on saying before I did it, oh my God, why are we doing this again? Why are we doing this again? You know, what has she done? And it was really um, because the speech pathologist who had been working with her 
who was very smart, was just like, I am at such a, first of all, she was working with the speech language, which meant that the family to me was on it. And mm-hmm. she was working and her therapy was progressing to a point where they were now at a standstill. So just even that story says to me that they're committed. Like they didn't just walk off the street and say they had a tongue tie. Right. And they had done um, some appointments with chiropractic, all this stuff. And so I did it and it wasn't easy. They're the hardest ones to do. I don't do mine anymore with nitrous. I don't bring them to the operating room, you know, so it's, it's a little, it's a little raw, you know, and everybody has to be on board. And Mm -hmm. I was really conflicted about it. But then the last time I saw them on Friday, they brought her in for her day post-op. And she was, they were like, she's like a new person. <gasps> Yay. And like all these things, just totally crazy. Even the neighbor. And I was like, okay, this was a good case selection. Yeah. It's really case by case. Mm-hmm. So in my practice, I feel confident too, even though everyone knows I do phrenectomies, not, you don't have to make a decision that day. Right. Like if you have a consult with somebody, you don't have to say, all right, let's get you on the books. You know, I think it's being honest and playing as you go. Now, just for example, I have a patient the same week who is in his early teens. You know, we've done all the orthodontics and everything, and we're trying to get him prepped for a tongue release. And he is just not compliant. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. He's not ready. So I said to the mom and him, I said, listen, he is not in distress right now. Right. Right. And so for whatever reason, this is not a good time in your life. And I just, you know, it's not worth you kind of coming back and feeling guilty about not, you know, doing your stuff. Us wait, you know, I don't want to say wasting our time, but you know, let's reevaluate this in a year. So you have to be willing to say no. A thousand percent. And That's I think case by you, case that kind of, you know, lets them understand like, this really is important. Like, I'm not just going to go and release whoever, you know, has a tongue tie. Like they have to put in that work. They have to be committed. Otherwise you're going to get a bad result. You know, they're still going to be symptomatic. Excuse me. Now my dog's barking. Of course. I'm like, right. We almost made it. We almost made it to the end. It's okay. He's he's the, um, the webinar dog, right? He's on everything. He's, I have, he didn't want to miss out. I have a little 10 year old Yorkie and I have a, um, a almost one year old golden retriever. And of course now they're starting to play together. So, yeah, well, it um, makes it, it makes it real. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, thank you, you know, for answering that. And a lot of this stuff, I feel like it's not, I always, I always ask anyways, because, you know, these are the questions I get from other hygienists or other myofunctional therapists. So I always try to bring those questions into my podcasts. And I know it's some of the questions, like it's so hard to answer because it is literally case by case by case. That's why everything's individualized. It's not right. one size fits all. It's not. No, but I, I think a good question for people to ask when they're finding their collaborative partners. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this was another question that I got recently from somebody. I said, why don't you call this so-and-so person and ask them, what is your plan when you do a tongue tie release? And if they say, I don't know what you're talking about, or say you just come in, like, you don't have to, you know, you can just ask an open-ended question. Like what, what is your usual protocol, right? Mm-hmm. When you're trying to find, and if the protocol is just make an appointment, we do it, that might not be for you. But if somebody says, 
you know, oh, you know, we like to see you first. We usually, you know, evaluate. Then, you know, you're working with somebody who's going to approach it right. much more comprehensively because there's a lot of people doing, listen, and I'm a big believer that everyone who's doing releases is doing it because they want to help. Right. Okay. I did my first releases with a diode and without adequate training. And I feel terrible about it, but I didn't do it that way because I was a bad person. I didn't know. But once you know, you have to like, you know, move on and start (laughs) and start learning, right? You can't stay in the dark. A thousand percent. And, you know, I'm sure you say that to parents and families almost every day, you know, when they ask you, why didn't so-and-so tell me this? They don't know. They didn't know. They don't know. They didn't keep the information from you because they're a horrible provider and don't care. That's right. They simply don't know. We didn't know. Mm-hmm. Right. And another question that we get a lot, right, is this a fad? Is this oh, new? Oh, boy. Right. That and one just really <laughs> ruffles my feathers. Right. And the reality is, is this has been, you know, in the literature for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I like to explain it is, is that it's not, it's not a fad, it's refound information because it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit more simple in terms of form following function or what I heard late. I think I heard this is the AAPMD, which I loved. It might've, I forgot who said it, but, oh, it might've been Joy Muller. Form, form also follows dysfunction. Yes. Isn't that good, right? Dysfunction, right? So, so, you know, things got, you know, even I came up with something off my head the other day and talking about um, tongue ties and breastfeeding that just occurred to me, which I knew I heard, but it just occurred to me the right reason is that we're seeing these again, because after World War II, moms went back, they went into the workforce for the first time, mm-hmm. right? And that's when formula feeding became really prevalent. And you can still have major problems with having a tongue tie and bottle feeding, but not as severe, right? right. So that wasn't that long ago, you know, that those are our grandparents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our parents were raised by them. I mean, this is just sort of, you know, it really wasn't commonly seen because the generations that are living are the ones where after World War Two, the moms did go back into the workplace. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot more bottle and formula feeding. Mm-hmm. And it's only sort of been again, you know, things always pendulums flow, you know, where breastfeeding is really, um, becoming, you know, more accepted or in vogue again. Mm -hmm. And it's still not easy because culturally women don't have the time that they need to say, you know, that's a whole other. So, you know, these problems are popping up again, but they were always there. They were just masked for a reason or two. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's the same thing too. I, I tell my patients, you know, we're also trained now to actually look at it the right way and assess the function and not just, can you stick your tongue out right now? We know it's so much more than that, but I, I mean, I, we get similar training on it and hygiene and dental school of ankyloglossia. I mean, it's like one slide. I literally remember one slide slide with it attached to the tip of the tongue. They might have speech problems. They might have issues breastfeeding, but then we know like my nephew who was tongue tied, it was painful for my sister-in-law I mean, probably now looking back, she'll probably agree that he had a poor latch, but he gained weight. She breastfed him for two years and he was very tongue tied. Um, You can compensate really well. 
but you're still right. compensating. Yes. Yes. And you know, it does come to get you later. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know that, but, um, but that's a great point. Like, do you, if you see a child at eight months, nine months, 12 months, 18 months, who's breastfeeding, gaining weight, but you know, they're compensating. What do you do? Right. That away, you know, and there is months. right. And I think those are, guess what? We may not have to make that decision. We can make it along with the parents, mm-hmm. you know, and do a lot of, um, you know, anticipatory guidance and, right. you know, understanding what the pros and cons are and that you might need this at some point, but Hey, you know, now you're on our radar and we got you. And these are some of the things that we can start working on, you know, to prepare. Um, I think sometimes it's nice to, for us to feel like we don't always have to have the answers right then and there, you know, like, I think that's the pressure we always feel on us. Right? Uh, yeah, a thousand percent. And that's okay. I, you know, I tell the other therapists that work with me, I'm like, it's okay to tell the parent, it's probably better to tell the parent that you don't know right now, because sometimes we don't know how much somebody is, you know, their functions inhibited until we actually yes. get in there and work with them. I, yes. we have I to be investigators. Parents, yeah. I tell them all the time, look, I'm seeing this, this is what the tissue looks like to me, but we're going to reassess. We're going to do some yes. therapy first. They need it anyways, prior to even it's having only going to help gonna do that. Right. Exactly. It's only going to help. Right. So right. we have to be investigators. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything else that you want to chat about before we wrap things up? Um, I don't think so. Other than just, you know, I'm just so it's so great, even in my short, you know, let's see, I think I've been at this for almost seven years now. Um, feeling like every month, um, and certainly every year, the tribe is just growing. And I think what's so great about these podcasts or getting together, again, in person or when we talk, it's just such a supportive and nurturing environment for all of us. And it's great for us to be surrounded by each other because I think sometimes, you know, you, you, you can, you know, just with any kind of work, even the work you love, you need to sometimes be recharged by your people and fired up. Right. And I feel like when you listen to things like this or you, Um, go to an in-person, you come back so fired up and with more information. And I also think too, like one of the big things for me is that, you know, after going through a professional divorce and kind of going on my way that I just want people to know that, you know, and this sounds so motherly, but you can do whatever you want. Like you do not have to professionally stay within the colors or the lines of the box. There are so Mm -hmm. many possibilities and don't let anybody tell you you can't. And it can be frightening, but life is really long. And we, you know, all work because when we like it, but we all have to make a living. Mm-hmm. If you feel passionate about something and you set your intention, like I learned a lot about intention the last couple of years, which is you really have to be careful sometimes what you say out loud mm-hmm. because then it happens and it happens so quick that sometimes you're not ready for it. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I can't believe, but it, it's true. It's true that you can really do, you know, what you want with your life, but also with this, um, with this airway field that you don't have to feel beholden to other practitioners or to your, you know, your peers that, um, you know, if you believe in something that you're doing, because you think you're right, it's right, you, 
you can take some risks and be so, so happy for it. And I think there's so many of us that are out there to support you and say, go for it. Absolutely. This has been so great. Oh my gosh. I am so appreciative of you having me on. Yeah. This conversation has been so awesome. Your patients are so lucky to have you. We're so lucky to have you in the field and to learn from you. And we just have to continue to clone you and make more of you. (laughs) Well, there has to be much more. That's the other thing I would like to say too, is that, you know, I, I am starting to get patients to travel really long ways and I, and I love it and I feel really honored, but the reality is, is there should be eventually somebody within an hour radius of at least of every community they can do what you and I do. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, with what I do, I can't do it over Zoom. Right. And we have to get people trained hands-on to be working with children and primary dentition, you know, along with myofunctional therapists and ENTs and speech. But we have to get um, more people who are trained to do deal with the structure. And FYI, you do not have to be an orthodontist or pediatric dentist to do it. You do not. <gasps> And I will tell you one thing that's missing is some really good hands-on courses and they're coming. They are coming. Bill Hang just came out with a great one. Echo, it's going to be a year long. I know we had to postpone the dates. So I'll find out when those dates are, but I would awesome. really recommend anybody. I mean, if you take, it's a year long course, it's not cheap, but it's worth it. And if you take that course after a year, you will be able to hands-on be able to treat children. Oh, that's amazing. That is yeah, because so more people have to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Brittany, it's been so great being on. Oh, thank Anytime. you. Thank you again for coming on. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode of I Spy with My Maya Y. If you want to hear more about these episodes, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to contact me at bsierra.omt at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe as well and let us know of any subject or guest speaker you'd like to hear from. Help spread the word by sharing today's episode on your social media page. You can find me on Facebook at CT Oral Facial Myology and Instagram handle CT underscore Oral Facial underscore Myology. Everybody have a wonderful day.